Well, we're looking um, through the summer months here, we're looking at the um, fruit of the Spirit. And we've already looked at love. Last week we looked at joy, and today we look at peace. Now, the fact of the matter is, you can be filled with love, you can be filled with peace, and you can be filled with joy. Those are choices. We are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. And if you are filled with the Spirit, the Spirit will exercise the expression of Himself uh, through those uh, of who He is. He is uh, love, He is joy, He's peace. Doesn't mean that there are not things around you that may want to try to rob you of those things. We understand that. But I'm telling you, on the authority of the Word of God, you can be filled with love, filled with joy and filled with peace. It is a matter of choice. Today we look at the subject of peace, how we can have peace. If there's anything that is um, expressed today as a need, it is the need for peace. Uh, In my almost 76 years of existence, and my, from my knowledgeable years, first 13 years, I was kind of unconscious, but um, when I began to become aware that there was things going on around me, but from that point to this very point, I don't believe that I have known any other year of disruption as we've experienced. Now, I know that there's other times, I think of uh, in the 60s, and there was the whole hippie movement and the peace child and love and all that stuff, you know. But there's so much um, unrest, huge amount of unrest internationally, and that's been there, I understand that. But internationally there's unrest, border disputes, philosophical disputes, religious disputes, warfare that breaks out over that. There's a national unrest and we see that. It's, uh, it's there. You don't have to go very far. You, I guarantee you, if you have some kind of news app that you look at, the first, uh, uh, if, there are, if you look at the first five, the fir- there'll be at least two or three of those that deal with some kind of violence or uh, some kind of uh, anger, outburst of disruption. It'll just be there. And it's, uh, it's seems to be part of our DNA now. And I know then we, when we see the um, political unrest that is there, there's this whole struggle that goes on. And everybody says, well, if my party gets in, it'll change. And the other party says, if my party gets in, it'll change. And, and yet, it goes on in the sense of unrest and disruption. Then we can draw it all the way down to the domestic level, the number of... Um, Uh, divorces that take place, the number of domestic violent cases that go on. There's just a huge pattern of unrest. And I'm thankful that we have an answer to that. We have the answer from the Word of God that says God is our peace. And He is a uh, one that can bring peace to us. I read in uh, James chapter 4, James asks the question here, and 
it helps us understand. He says, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? Your lu- you lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And then when you ask, you ask for wrong motives. So it tells me here that the source of conflict rests within ourselves. Now, where did all of that start? Where did all this conflict begin? It began in the book of Genesis, actually, as we see it recorded for us. Conflict exists today because the sovereign rule of God is not acknowledged. Understand that. Conflict exists today because the sovereign rule of God is not acknowledged. When man, under the temptation of Satan, who had already rebelled against the sovereign rule of God, then tempted man to rebel against God, it set in motion the conflict that we know today. When God is not ruling, then everyone else decides they'll rule. And we see then, with even in the first marriage there, Adam and Eve, they're in conflict with each other. We see amongst their children conflict and murder that takes place. It exists because we don't acknowledge that there is only one way to live life, and that's under the absolute authority of God. In fact, if there is um, no God, there is no peace. But to know God in a knowledgeable way is to know peace. There must be a return to God if ever there's going to be any sense of peace. Now we know, because we've read the book, we know at the end of all of life, when God creates the new heavens and the new earth, and he establishes that sovereign rule, we do know for a fact there will be peace. There will no longer be any conflict. There will no longer be battles. There will not be this jealousy and outrage and so forth. It'll be done away with. There will be that peace. But right now, because um, as a nation, and I'm thinking, what are we experiencing as a nation? What's causing so much of our conflict? As long as we continue, and there are several things that I think have created this, as long as we continue to diminish the significance of God in our nation, there will be an increase of, of uh, disputes and violence. Because what happens is, if there's not a sovereign voice, then my voice has as much legitimacy as your voice. And if your voice disagrees with my voice, the fruit of that is we have conflict. We, we war with each other. There is no sense of absolute authority. It was not always true in my life. There was, even if there was not an embracing of God, at least there was the acknowledgement that there is a God and he is the ruler. And we respected that. We're not having that anymore. It is the loss of that. I think with the violence that we perpetrate upon one another is also born of two major factors of philosophical change within our nation. One is in the 1970s when we decided that that being inside of us was not a real life, and we decided to abort our children. And the whole attitude towards abortion creates then within our mindset a diminished value of life. 
We don't understand that we're made in the image of God, created in the image of God, and that should render itself unto respect to one another. I think another great philosophical change that's taken place in our lives, in my lifetime, has been the whole understanding that we're not created by a creator, that we are actually a product of time and chance and so forth. All of those diminish the value of life, both the evolutionary thinking, the abortion process is going on, and the diminished understanding of the significance of God lends itself to chaos. Chaos and abuse on one another. So we need to just come, and the theme of my message this morning is peace comes from knowing that God is in control. And until God is in control in any one of those circumstances, in my life, in my home, my nation, and in the world, if there is not the understanding that uh, God is in control, there will never be any sense of peace in that process. I love what Isaiah says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Perfect peace comes from a deliberate focus upon God. I love the fact that when God intervenes in our lives and we yield to that, the fruit of that is peace. I think in in Mark chapter 4 when Jesus decided to go across the Sea of Galilee there and they all got in there the boat to go on the other side and Jesus grabbed a pillow and went down in the boat and took a nap. And uh, all of, then a storm came up and they were afraid that they were going to die and even said to the Lord, don't you care that we perish? And Jesus rebuked them for their lack of faith and then stood up and said, peace be still. That shook them up because the seas became calm. You see, when he was in control, calm came. Well, I love in Luke when it talks about uh, Jairus' daughter who was sick and came to Jesus, and Jesus was on his way to go see Jairus' daughter there in the eighth chapter of Luke. And on his way, crowds were about him, and a woman who had had a discharge of blood for years and unable to do anything about it had spent all of her resources, believed that if she could just touch the hem of his garment, he would be okay. And so uh, she did. And then Jesus said, the crowd, who touched me? And, you know, the disciples said, what do you mean who touched you? You're in a crowd. A lot of people are touching. He said, I'm telling you, power went out of me. Who touched me? And then the woman realized, he's talking about me. And she began to tremble. And she said, look, I knew that this is what was going on in my life. And I knew if I could just touch you. And he says to her, your faith has made you whole. And then what does he say? Go in peace. You think she did? (laughs) Go in peace. Because, see, God was in control even of her sickness. And then if we we go on in the story, he does finally get to Jairus' daughter, and she's dead, but he raises her to life. He's in control of life. He's in control of death. He's in control of our circumstances. God is in control, and that renders itself to an attitude of peace Because let me tell you something, if you think you're in control, and worse than that, if you think I'm in control, we're in trouble. I can't do anything, really. But I've got a God 
who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. That gives me peace. So what I want to do this morning is, so that you know where we are, I want to walk through four areas that deals with peace. One is peace with God. Second area is peace with yourself. The third area is peace with others. The fourth area, and I don't get shook up, I'm going to cover them quickly. The fourth area then is uh, peace with uh, my circumstances, finally with an exhortation to decide to live in peace. I believe that all peace begins with an understanding that we have peace with God. If we don't have peace with God, no matter what we're doing, it will not matter. It will not make any impact. So all of us, when we are born, we are born in a state of warfare against God. We are at war with God, and it's that whole attitude of who has the right to to rule. Am I going to be the, the master of my own destiny? Am I going to lead myself? Or am I going to yield to God? And I, and but because I'm in a state of warfare with God, that means that I cannot have peace with God. I cannot have a relationship with God. I can have no assurance about my life or my future. Even if I rest in myself, I have none of that. Well, I can't do anything about my problem. I can't do anything about my sin. I can't resolve it. Now, I know that there's a lot of suggestions out there. Just live a good life, and God is a God of love, and he'll overlook all the wrongs you've done. And and, and that's not true. He's a God of justice. He can't do that. He must judge all sin. And so I say, well, God, I, I don't know how to make peace with you. And he said, I understand that. And so what I'm going to do for you is I'll make peace with you. And he knows that I'm in a battle with him, but his battle is different. He tries and he decides that he's going to utilize love. And we read that in Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, it talks about unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I am going to send one who will bring peace. He is the ruler of peace. And then we read further in Isaiah chapter 53 about the suffering servant and the servant that is spoken of there is Jesus himself. And it talks about bearing the afflictions of mankind. He pays the price for our sins that is alienating us from him, that's not allowing us to have a relationship with him. He said, I'm going to resolve that. I will bear those sins. And we see all of that in Isaiah chapter 53 of all the suffering that he went through, the affliction that he bore, our affliction, what we deserved so that he could come and give us peace. Our warfare with God is described described for us in Romans the first chapter's there. And it talks about our inadequacy there. It gives a summary statement of who we are in relationship with God. And it finally says that none seek after God. Not, not even one. Nobody goes after God. But he goes on to say, and turn with me to Romans chapter 3. And you'll see there what is spoken of. 
Verse 19 then begins, after he says, there is none that walk in the path of God, there is none that fear God before their eyes. Now we, verse 19 then of chapter 3, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. No effort on our own will ever bring us to a right relationship with God. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. This is something that's been known for a long time. The law spoke of it. The prophets spoke of it. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through, his, through faith, This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he had passed over sins previously committed. And this way, for this is a demonstration of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of all who put their faith in Jesus. So what I could not do to establish peace with God, he did for me. And then it describes that as the benefits in chapter 5 of Romans, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, trusting in something other than myself, by faith. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And then he clearly defines the avenue of that through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way that we have peace with God. It is not your efforts. It's not what you've done. It is what God has done. He didn't have to do any of that. He could have judged all of us in our rebellion. But he so loved the world that he reached out and he then, this is how he is just. It's not as if he looked over our sins. He knows what our sins are. He then took the punishment from the Father as my substitutionary atonement. He bore that. He was punished for me. And then having satisfied the righteousness of God, he made peace with us. My peace is a direct product of God's willingness to stand in my place. And now I have peace with God. I don't know if you have that. I don't know if you have that. Maybe you're unsettled even today thinking, well, I hope I'm okay before God. I hope I measure up. Listen, you don't measure up. But by the name of Jesus Christ in his redemptive work, he allows you to be covered in his righteousness so that you have peace with God. Do you know what a blessing that is? To just... Put your head on your pillow at night and say, God, I thank you. I thank you that I'm yours. You're my father. You're my savior. You're my Lord. And everything may not have gone today as I thought it should have or would have, but I know one thing. Nothing can ever separate me from your love. 
that I am yours forever. You have promised never to leave me nor forsake me. Oh, God, I thank you for that gift. Peace with God. All of other relationships begins there. If you don't have peace with God, then what you are in life is a master manipulator. You're trying to get other people to recognize your significance and who you are and be at peace with you. But when you have peace with God, you're able to go out into a world and relate well to others. Which brings us to our second point then, and that is peace within ourselves. I remember when I had a conversation with a lady and she came up and she said, I have got so many wrongs in my life. I have treated so many people wrong that I I don't know what to do with all of that. And so she made a list of all the people that she had wronged. It was a rather extensive list. And she said, what should I do about that? Well, you need to go and uh, seek them out and ask for forgiveness. And so she did. She came back. She said, I finished the list. I said, well, you left one significant name off. She said, what's that? I said, you left your name off. You don't have peace within yourself. You need to learn to forgive yourself. She said, oh, I could never forgive myself, nor could God ever forgive me of some of the things that I've done. And I said, so you are going to live with unrest in your soul without embracing God's grace and mercy? I said, listen here, let me tell you something. I, and I, we were sitting uh, across from each other. I said, look, I, wanna, I want you to know something. I sit here as a representative of God. I am not God, but I represent God. And I can tell you with absolute authority as a representative of God that in the name of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. She wept. You mean I can be at peace within myself? I said, of course. Now, it's amazing if you want to find out how to find peace within yourself. If you really want to have some interesting reading, just Google that. Google that this afternoon. Peace within myself. Here's some of the suggestions that comes to us. Nine ways to experience inner peace and enjoy life on a deeper, more satisfying level. Number one. Focus your attention on those things you can control. Number two, spend time in nature. Three, be true to yourself. Four, mind what you eat. Exercise on a regular basis. Do good deeds. Be assertive. Meditate. Now, there's no instruction on what to meditate upon or what to be assertive about or what good deeds to do. I want to tell you something. You will not find inner peace with yourself through that process. That is foolish because the main component of inner peace is missing. That's God. Where's God in the midst of all of this? This is all... Listen, we got in trouble... the way we are today because we took our eyes off God and began contemplating ourselves, becoming navel gazers. And we're just looking at ourselves, trying to, you can't figure it out in and of yourself. It has to be that God, well, don't give up because there's more you can Google here. (laughs) There are four steps in this one for us more simple-minded people. Number one, 
Give yourself permission to feel. You know, just do. You feeling better? Secondly, identify which emotions you're feeling. What are those things you're feeling right now? Listen to what your emotions are telling you. Care for yourself. Be your own advocate. There's something significantly missing in all of that. God. So after I became discouraged not finding anything of help, and I'm seeing that the preoccupation with being at peace with yourself has to do with only yourself, and I said, well, look, if I, if I can do something about that, I'd have done it a long time ago. I don't know what to do. Let me help you with some things here. I was just sitting, listening to God. What gives me peace within myself? I'm going to give you four things. All right? Four things that I believe will grant you peace. Number one, know that God has forgiven all your past sins. Actually, not only your past sins, but all your sins. Because God has forgiven you, you can forgive yourself. If the God of the universe chooses not to judge you, but to render forgiveness based on his judgment that he's put upon his son, then we deny what God has given to us, that gift of forgiveness. Um, Number two, understand who you are through the eyes of God. Enhance what it means to be the beloved child of God. Release yourself from the bondage of what you or others have said about you and embrace what Jesus says about you. Jesus paid the supreme price to make you his new creation. You see, I think we allow too many significant people in our lives to describe who we are. And those voices are louder than God's voice. I must listen to the voice of God. Number three, uh, celebrate your new identity and your new God-given power to become every day more like Jesus. You may not be all you could be or should be, but you can thank God you're not what you used to be. We're in the business of changing. In the business of changing, we can be something new. And that newness is because of the power of God within our lives. And then number four, practice the gift of self-forgetfulness. Not self-forgiveness, self-forgetfulness. What do I mean by that? Life is really not about you. It's not about me. And to make everything about you is to be preoccupied with yourself. And and, uh, learn... what humility is, and not take yourself so seriously, and to embrace who God has made you in the midst of that. Learn what Paul said, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So I need to understand in my acceptance of myself, not what I was in my own efforts, 
not what someone else said that I was. If I'm ready to understand who I am and to embrace peace with myself, I need to understand what God says about me. And I need to believe that and embrace and work upon it. All right. Peace with God, peace with self. How about peace with others? Romans tells us in 12.18, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Hebrews 12.14 says, work at living in peace with everyone. I love the fact that he said work. You know, to be at peace with others, it's hard work. And then we realize that uh, the basis of doing all of that, according to Isaiah 41.10 is, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Your ability to move into the lives of others who may not be at peace with you is because God empowers you to do that. Now, the fact of the matter is, no matter what effort you put forth, some people may not choose to be at peace with you. You know that? They will say something like this, I don't care. I will never be your friend. I will never forgive you. I will never embrace. No, I don't care. I don't care. And they don't care. And then you can choose what you're going to do. I've done everything within my power to be at peace with you by the power that God has given to me. And now I release that unto the Lord. Or you're going to have to chase that person around begging them to embrace you in peace so that you can be at peace. It is possible to be at peace even though others may not be at peace with you as long as you've done everything within your power. But I want to tell you what Paul tells us in Ephesians about peace. In Ephesians chapter 2, a wonderful thing. I'm going to tell you the basis of peace with others that can guarantee. Um, We can begin in chapter 2 when he says, um, he talks about we're his workmanship, verse 10, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Then verse 11, he begins talking there. Therefore, remember that formerly you as Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcised by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. Now, what Paul is doing here is he's taken the two most extreme situations that he knows of. There was no greater human separation than between the Gentiles and the Jews. There was a hatred that existed amongst them, both from the Gentile to the Jew and the Jew to the Gentile. They hated each other. Now, listen. You Gentiles were once far off. You were separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Verse 13 says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinance, so that himself he might make two into one new man, thus establishing peace. What does he say? The Gentile was looking, this is the basis of who we are. 
The Jew was looking, this is the basis of who we are. And Jesus is saying, I'm tearing both of those down and I'm making one new definition of what it means to be at one. And that is who you are in Christ. And I can have with anyone peace as long as we're embracing in common who Jesus Christ is. I cannot be with at peace with anyone who chooses to have another philosophy, another religion, or so, and they hold that without embracing Christ. The avenue of peace, even as defined by Isaiah, and he is our peace, the prince of peace. He is our peace as defined here. The avenue of all peace, humanly speaking, is to embrace in common Jesus Christ. And to the degree that you do that, the fruit of that is peace. I've said this so many times to married couples who have come in and uh, talked to me, and they're believers, and they're in conflict. There is no peace. There is no peace there. There is warfare. There is conflict. There's battle that is going on. And I ask, do both of you know the Lord as your Savior? Yes. So Jesus Christ lives within you. Yes. I said, well, I'm going to guarantee you this right now. The Jesus in you is not at war with the Jesus within you. The only thing that is at war here is not Jesus, it's your flesh. And the flesh wants his own way, wants to rule himself. So I said, if you want, and I really do believe this, if you want peace within a marriage, then both embrace Jesus Christ fully, fully in that process. And then you have harmony as a result of that. If we want peace in any arena, it is not sitting down and defining all the areas of conflict. You can do that. But if you leave Jesus out of that equation, you don't have it. Do you know how many peace accords have been written in the history of mankind? Do you know how many wars have been that was supposed to be the war that ends all war that goes on? What is wrong with all of that? It's not the efforts of negotiators. It is the failure to leave Jesus Christ in the middle of that, to say that only as we embrace him can the fruit of that be peace. He is that. I love what he says about this. It goes on, that he might reconcile both into one body to God through the cross, through the cross by having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away Gentiles and peace to those who were near Jews. For through him, it keeps emphasizing that, through the cross, through him, through Christ, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole body being fitted together is growing into a holy temple into the Lord, in whom you also have been built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. We have been made one, not because of horizontal negotiation, but because of vertical recognition of who God is. I have actually seen people, when I've told them the solution to their problem is to embrace Jesus mutually, and I've seen people that stand up and says, I will never let go of what he or she has done to me. And I said, then you're going to live in conflict. You're, you're not capturing the heart of God. All right.
Peace with others. And even with all your effort, it may not materialize. Leave that with God. Now here it is, our next to the last, and that is peace in all circumstances. No matter what you're facing right now, how adverse it is, how difficult, how painful, you can have peace in the midst of that. It doesn't even make sense. But if you turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. It's the most amazing verse. I, 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 I'll walk with you through this. I've done it many times in my own life. In chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I said, Lord, I like the word rejoice. The one that bothers me in that is always. Always. Don't you know where I'm at right now? Don't you know what I'm going through? Always. And then he has the audacity, Paul does, to say it again. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And then he begins to tell me how I can rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. What does that mean? It means get your eyes off yourself and start serving others. Hang out the shingle that says, I care. I care. Do you need anything? Serving others. I found that a lot of my dissatisfaction in my life is because others aren't serving me. Freedom is only when I choose to serve others. But here's what he says. Rejoice always. The Lord is near in verse 5. And, I, and when I argue with Scripture, I say, okay, Lord, you're near. How does that help me rejoice? The Lord is near. And I'm not trying to be offensive to God, but God, you're near, but I've still got all of this that's before me, all of this that I'm facing. What good is it that you are near? He says, well, I can do something. Verse 6, be anxious for nothing. Again, those, don't those words bother you? Nothing? Now, certainly this qualifies for me to be anxious. Nothing, but in everything, that's another word, everything, everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Oh, so I can rejoice because you're near, and the reason that I can find that is because I can talk to you. I can talk to you, God. And then I'm saying, Lord, I don't want to be offensive to you, but what good does talking to you do? My circumstances are still as they are. What good does it do to talk to you? Now, I'm not trying to be offensive to God or rude. I'm just trying to say this is the way I dissect Scripture. And then he says something, verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. Oh, oh, I see now, God. I give you my circumstances, and you give me your peace? That's the way it works. And I said, well, God, if you'll just indulge me one more time, what good will your peace do? My, all of this is here. What good will your peace? Look what he says. And my peace will guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus. I'll begin to give you protection about all of your heart, what you feel, what you're thinking, what you're choosing. I'm going to reach down far beyond the circumstances into the recesses of your life, and I'm going to give you peace in your heart. 
And I'm also going to give you peace in your mind. In those troubled circumstances, in those things that we don't understand, our minds just race uncontrollably to all arenas. And God says, you give it to me and I'll give you my peace. I say, oh Lord. So what you're telling me is your peace will guard my heart and mind. And I can give you all of that because you're close and you always will be near me. Therefore, I can rejoice in all circumstances. That's right. Casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Peace. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying it's possible. The last thing is peace as a way of life. Do you know that you can, this morning, choose to say that the way I'm going to live is the way of peace? I'm going to be, as Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. They should be called the children of God. You're one that goes out there and you sow the seed of peace. But here's what he says to me in Colossians 3.15. Let, that means I should allow, I have the responsibility, let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. It is my responsibility to let the peace of God abide within my heart. And when, that, when he says, let the peace of God abide within your heart, that means that it is a responsibility that he has commanded me to have. And because it's in the present tense, it means I should habitually have that. It means when it says rule, it is to umpire over my life. It is to give direction. It is to help make decisions. It is to control. God, I choose now to let your peace rule in my life. We allow too many other things to rule in our lives. The way we were brought up, the way we're treated at work, our health, our sickness, our whatever, those things rule louder than the peace of God. And we've learned that God's peace can come to us when it surpasses understanding. It does not make sense to have peace, but it's possible. And we're responsible for that. So all of you know that um, uh, a week ago Friday, a dear friend of ours and a personal friend, uh, Dan Wilder, passed away. And I have to tell you that, that disturbed me. That began to rob me of peace. And I began to ask questions. And I set up, this was on Friday that he passed away, and I was up early on Saturday morning, and I was, um, I was just talking to the Lord about, God, why did you take my friend away from me? And God listened to me for a while there, and then in a polite fashion, he said, you know, will you just listen to this? Will you celebrate the 44 years that I gave you with him and quit complaining about the few years that you're not going to have? And I'm going to tell you something, my friends. At that moment, the peace of God flooded my soul. 
It changed me. It changed me. Because I was asked by the family, they said, will you help with the graveside service? That was right the day he died. I said, no, I can't. Not because I have an agreement with the church that I'm not going to do funerals. I can't. I, am not, I don't have the ability to do that. But I want to tell you something. God gave that. We had yesterday a time with the family in the midst of our pain, the presence of peace, the presence of God, the awareness of the loss, the pain of that loss, but God granted peace. Now, I'm just telling you my current events. I can tell you many stories in my life when I yielded to God. He changed my perspective, and he brought peace. Do you know how many times when God came in contact with people and they were all disturbed, he would say things like to his disciples in the upper room when they were facing Jesus' death and their potential death, Jesus had the audacity to say, let not your heart be troubled. How can you say that? And we learn later on in chapter 14 of John, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives peace. I give you peace, my peace, a gift of God. And so many times he would say in those unruly circumstances, peace, 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 go in peace. If there is no God in your life, there will be no peace. But if you know God, then you know peace. Peace comes from knowing God is in control. Lord, thank you that you are master of all. You are sovereign God and you are in control. And maybe there's things that we need to turn over to you right now that have been robbing us of peace. And you paid the price to give us your peace. May we embrace it, Lord, fully. Remembering what you did for us. We bless you, Lord, for the peace of God that passes understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 